Thank you. When you stop moving, your heart stops. That was great listening to this music. Uh, that's my first time of uh, uh, hearing a rap choir. <laughs> I was in uh, Gallup, New Mexico, and uh, I heard some Navajo rap. That's a trip. <laughs> so it is a tremendous blessing to be here. At, uh, I was sitting here looking at this great uh, congregation. Uh, last Thursday evening, I was uh, preaching in uh, British Columbia, Canada, in Chilliwack, and uh, almost all white people. <laughs> I flew to London and was there with Peter Ajala in Southland, almost all black people. <laughs> I had the privilege of being here tonight, almost all Hispanic people. <laughs> God said, my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. What a wonderful blessing. Can you say amen? amen? Hear these reports and seeing what God is doing. It is a great blessing that God has given to you and I. Turn in your Bibles to the book of uh, Luke chapter 22. Uh, or whatever it is you're carrying that represents a Bible. I became disturbed last year. I see people coming and not bring any Bible, and I'm an adult Bible class, and so finally I'm going to embarrass them all. And so I said, "Everybody has a Bible. I want you to hold them up." And about uh, eighty percent of them held up their iPhones or their iPads. And so I, I said, "Okay, I give up." I said, <laughs> Luke 22 and uh, verse 31. Put your finger in that. I'm going to read that passage of Scripture, and then in John 21, uh, verse uh, 15 through 18. One of the great testimonies of the Scripture is the story of David. David takes 400 men, and they're from all the uh, places of society. Some of them were in debt. Some of them were fugitives from the law. Some of them had major character flaws. All kinds of people in debt running from various kinds of problems. Shapes these men into a powerful force for God. You can read the record in the scripture. You call David's 400 men. Many of them became mighty men. Some of them were so renowned for their exploits that the Bible records the special uh, miracles of valor that was accomplished through them. 400 men turned into a mighty force from actually, much of them was the rabble of society. As a great testimony. The reason that he was able to do that is that uh, he had a heart of a shepherd. And as he had a heart of a shepherd, he was able to shape these people and make them effective for the kingdom of God. In this building tonight, there is a, a desperate need for people to be salvaged 
many times from the mistakes of life, many times from the weaknesses of their own character. Christianity is not so much what you are as what you can become. And if you're going to be able to be used as a leader in a congregation, if you're ever going to be able to be used as a pastor, you're going to have to be effective in helping people to be greater than themselves. We're going to read a story tonight. It's very familiar to you. It's the failure of Peter. And I want to minister from that in the book of Luke chapter 22, beginning verse 31. The Lord said, Simon, uh, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you've returned to me, or King James says, when you're converted, you strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you deny me three times that you know me. Now John's gospel, chapter, uh, chapter uh, 21, verse 15. So when they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my sheep, or my, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And uh, he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I want to talk to you about salvaging people. One of the great needs is processing failure among the people of God if you're in a church or dealing with or helping uh, restore workers to fruitfulness, salvaging people. Number one, I want to talk to you about the danger of overconfidence. It's a very common problem, and you see it in this text, because what happens when you get a little bit of success as a Christian and you begin to uh, kind of learn the ropes and you get a little bit of, uh, of uh, testimony is if you're not very careful, then you become prideful, and this is what we're dealing with in this text, uh, or you will become harsh, or sometimes you'll become legalistic. And this is very possible that this is because of the privileges that Peter had. Remember, he was uh, one of the inner circle. Peter, James, and John uh, were uh, exposed to circumstances that the rest of the disciples did not have. It was Peter, James, and John who went up on the Mount of Transfiguration and saw Jesus transfigured with Moses and Elijah. And so uh, uh, it, it's possible that because he had experienced or been exposed to uh, uh, as, as an insider, that this gave him this feeling that he had a special place. And I want you to know that the devil exploit pride. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 16 and verse 18, says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. And it's very clear in this passage of Scripture that this is what the problem is with Peter. And Jesus is beginning to prepare the disciples for what's going to happen. He's going to be taken. He's going to be 
crucified. He's beginning to try to put in the disciples a little bit of preparation what's going to happen to him. And as he does that, uh, Peter rises up and said, because Jesus said, all of you are going to deny me this night. He rose up and he said, I'll be the last man standing. I don't care about these other people. I got the goods. And when he said that, Jesus turns to him in verse 33 and said to him that, Peter, before this night passes, you're going to deny me three times. Lord, I'll go to prison with you. And even to death, Peter, before the night's finished, you're going to deny me three times. Now, this is the spirit of pride. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation is overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but will with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now the disciples, as they were coming to this place, they had just been arguing about who's going to have the greatest ministry. I know this never happens in among the disciples here. They all are, are of good spirit at all. But uh, these people were arguing with one another. One said, uh, listen, I'm going to tell you, when I, when I get out on my ministry, I'm going to be the greatest that there is. And I said, no, 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 I'm going to be. And so they'd just been doing that. Uh, and Jesus notes that in Mark's gospel, chapter 9, verse 33 and 34, he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what was it that you disputed among yourself on the way, on the road? And they kept silent. Isn't that interesting? For on the road, they disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. Comparing themselves among themselves, as the Apostle Paul said, they're not wise. We have the story that Jesus tells of two men that go into church. One of these is a Pharisee, very strict religious discipline, and the other is a publican. He wasn't even counted to really even know God. And the Pharisee uh, is praying, said, Lord, I'm, uh, I'm glad that, like, that I'm not like other men. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all of them. I'm not like this guy here. And the publican wouldn't even lift his head before God, said, oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And it's interesting that Jesus said the Pharisee prayed with himself. The reason he said that, because nobody was listening to him. So here we have this business of pride and we make a mistake if we have the understanding that by our own ability or by our own slick maneuvering, we're able to influence people. You're witnessing to somebody. You've got it down pat. You're going you're gonna to bamboozle them with your genius of reasoning. And uh, I often see the, uh, the disciples when they're uh, preaching in the concert sin. You know, sometimes they'll pull out one of these stories. I mean, it's an absolute hair burner. And they think it's a... But that's not what uh, causes people to be moved. You see another guy get up. He doesn't even have confidence. He can hit his rear end with both hands. <laughs> the altars are filled because he has no confidence in himself. Uh, because here is a common problem uh, and it's very... Uh, common among believers, uh, 
And you and I need to understand that overconfidence is a very, very dangerous thing. And it's a spirit of pride that we know how to do this. And this is pride that goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. So here we want to look at for a moment the power of grace. Now I know that today hyper grace uh, is becoming very, very popular, the eternal security. Most of the mega churches are eternal security. They're propagating this, which is not uh, the Bible at all. But there is a truth in grace. And I want to examine that with you for a moment as we look at this because there's a notable truth. The devil will beat you to death over your uh, mistakes. Can you say amen? But he'll hide from you this wonderful story of grace uh, because he's the accuser of the brethren. In James chapter 1, verse 12, says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he's been uh, approved, he received the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted to evil, and uh, he does not uh, himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted uh, when he's drawn away by his own desires or lust and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it uh, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Sometimes in conference, I've done a seminar to help pastors and workers to understand this business of being able to deal with people and help them to solve their problem and recover and be fruitful and go on for God. It's very, very, very common for uh, people in the, in the Christian faith to be very uh, legalistic, to be very strict, to be very ungracious. And I teach this seminar to try to give pastors a little handle on how to uh, handle people, and I call this butchers and surgeons. Both of them cut meat. One leaves the patient alive, the other just cuts meat. There's a skill, which is a skill of dealing with people. I, uh, uh, I don't want to worry. When I send a worker out, I don't worry that they're going to learn to preach. They will learn to preach. What I worry about is will they learn the skills of people skills because if they have people skills, they will build a church and they will survive in the long term, and this is absolutely crucial. Not everyone that fails needs to die. That's a great lesson, workers. Not everyone that fails needs to die. Yes, that I know we discipline morals. Yes, we have to have standards. We have to certain things we have to exercise, but not everyone needs to die. On the other hand, not everyone needs to go to church. Some people don't belong in church. Are you still with me? This is a great lesson. You know, you know the, 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 what, what, the cliche that the church world, world is doing is they're turning from the born-again experience or crisis conversion that I call it, and what they're turning to is, no, what you need to do, first of all, 
is you get people to come to church. It, the, the whole thought of this is that you come to church, you become a Christian. It's like uh, you go into a chicken house, you become a chicken, or go into garage, you become a garage. And so come to church, and so here's their formula. I've got articles on this. First of all, they need to belong. Secondly, if they belong then and you embrace them, then they will believe. And thirdly, then they'll change their behavior. Well, that's not quite what the Bible presents. Can you say amen? Some people you don't want in church until they're saved. Ooh, boy, I felt that just bouncing around the walls here this evening. I've actually got an article that says uh, that when these people come in, it takes some people uh, two to four years to actually begin to understand that they're a Christian. So I read that. I said, not in our church it isn't. First service, you probably are going to be really uh, impressed that you're not a Christian if you're living in sin. So here we have this issue of people skills. Uh, salvaging workers is a crucial dimension uh, and a glorious dimension of grace. And here's a profound illustration that we have here. Peter fails miserably. And as he fails miserably, Jesus raises from the dead after the crucifixion. And after he raises from the dead, an angel of God appears to one of the believers uh, and says, you go tell the disciples uh, and Peter to meet me at the shores of Galilee, like I said to you, Mark chapter 16 and verse 7. Think about that for a moment. Because one thing that happens, uh, uh, when I read this verse in James 1, I said, here now are the dynamics of sin. First of all, a person sins, uh, then when sin is finished, it brings forth a birth. And when that finished, it brings forth death. That's the processes of sin. And unless God intervenes, which he will, to those that will, he'll change that. So here's Peter now. You can, all, you can almost see that. He, you can almost catch the feeling. It's all over for Peter. He's denied the Lord. He has the opportunity to bear testimony to the Lord Jesus, and he miserably failed. Some little maid said, I know you. You're one of those. No, 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 it's not me. Another, yeah, you're, no, it's not me. Three times, uh, finally to convince him, he curses, uh, begins to cuss. Uh, that, that makes anybody believe that you're not a believer. Doesn't it? So a miserable favor. You tell the disciples and Peter, what a tremendous, tremendous statement is there. What deep insight uh, into the grace of God uh, because uh, God is going to draw out from Peter uh, the realization uh, of his love for Jesus Christ and he's going to spotlight that uh, because love will conquer failure. So let's look at this for a moment. Here's Moses. Moses uh, sees some of the greatest manifestations uh, of God that any human being has ever seen. Moses is there. He sees God stretch forth his hand, judge the ten pagan gods of Egypt. He sees him roll back the Red Sea. 
He sees him kill the firstborn of Pharaoh's household. He sees him intercene in weather. He sees him bring light and darkness to bring a contrast to his people. And But Moses becomes desirous to have a full revelation of God. And in Exodus 34, he says, God, I want to... I want to I see, I want insight into who you are and your character. In Exodus 34, verse 6, we have these tremendous words. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and in truth. So here we have this tremendous, he saw God's power. He saw his blessing. He saw this tremendous thing, but he feels he still doesn't know and understand God. And he says, Lord, I want insight. And God speaks to him, and what he speaks to him about is his grace and his wonderful favor and the revelation of that and this is a revelation that we need. You tell the disciple and Peter. Don't leave Peter out. He wants him there so too. Paul has a tremendous experience with God. Because of that, uh, he uh, is uh, given a thorn in his flesh. Uh, and he's praying to God. Second Corinthians 12, uh, verse 9. And God speaks to him and says, My grace is all you need. My power is works best in weakness. So here we have a glorious story. and This is God's triumphing over human failure to accomplish his purpose. How many of you know tonight that it's not all about you? I know you think it is. You know, it's about me, Lord. Yeah, it's me. <laughs> ah, yeah, I'm the last man standing, he said. It's not about you. It's about God. Once you begin to understand that, it begins to change the how you think about what you're doing and the calling that God gives you. Oh, we sing these, uh, these uh, uh, choruses, you know, people sing these choruses, never even give a thought to what they really mean, but they sing it anyway. I, I told Pastor Ruby, I was, over in, I was over in London, and I heard choruses that I never heard before and will never hear again. People sing these choruses, have not the slightest clue sometimes. Eh? But here's God's grace in spite of human failure. Pastor, you need to learn what I'm talking to you about. I'm not talking about being soft on sin. I'm not talking about not disciplining sin, not having moral standards. But I'm talking about grace that can reach in and restore a fallen worker and make them productive in the things of God. John chapter 1 verse 14 says and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth and his of his fullness we've all received and grace for grace for the law was given through Moses but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ you know one of the most enduring hymns that are in the Christian faith is the song Amazing Grace. It's still sung many, many places. The new hippie, hip-hop courses can't, re can't compare to this. Listen to this. Listen to the word. This was written by John Newton. John Newton says that he went to Africa to sin to his heart's content. He got in the slave trade and uh, as he was transporting slaves, he would go 
uh, below decks and violate the women that were there sexually. Uh, and uh, he had once even sold himself into the hands uh, of an African prief- pr- uh, uh, chiefess, uh, filled with sin. His own testimony tells you the degradation and the depth. But one day God got a hold of this man. And when God got a hold of him, he wrote a song. And I want you to bear with me as I read the words of this song. It's Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. There's a reason that that's one of the most enduring hymns ever sung in the Christian churches because that resonates with most of us who appreciate and receive and are able to grasp the grace of God. So let's look for a moment back to Peter for a moment. Here's the key to effectiveness. Bible conferences are about being effective. Can you say amen? Bible conferences are not about waving banners and we're dancing, you know. No, Bible conferences are trying to make people effective with human beings. In this conference, you're going to raise up workers. You've heard for workers that are raised up. These were not just some Christian program that's involved. The burden of sending workers out is to be effective in reaching people. So here's the key to effectiveness this evening as we ponder this for a moment. Uh, And uh, uh, we have to continue to have faith in God's ability to uh, redeem people. Can you say amen? Here's the failure. I'm reading about a failure tonight. His name's Peter. But it's a failure that is properly handled and you must never lose hope in God's ability to redeem a human soul. In the book of 1 Corinthians, there are three eternal verities, faith, hope, and charity. And God says when the gifts of the Spirit are gone, no longer are uh, uh, useful, when the miracles of healing, when the word of knowledge, uh, when the gifts of healing, uh, all of these things uh, are left for a time frame, three eternal verities remain, One is faith, one is hope, and one is love or charity. So let's think about this business of faith because we're not just talking about faith toward God, which we do have faith in God, but we're having faith in God's ability to redeem people. Can you say amen? Don't ever lose that dimension that God can redeem far beyond your understanding far beyond your capability. And so I started out talking about David. Here's David, and we marvel 
when we read the stories of David, how he was able to gather these men. These men are losers. These men are in debt. These men are fugitives from the law. These men have all kinds of character flaws, but he was able to shape them and form them into a powerful army for God. And the reason was uh, he had a shepherd's heart. Look at this text again, John 15. Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, feed my lambs. Peter, feed my sheep. I wonder tonight as you're sitting here, you're a pastor, uh, is that really what you grasp in your heart and soul is that God's interested in people. When Solomon was before the altar, he's offered a, a, a thousand sacrifices and God appeared to him and said, Solomon, what do you want? If he asked you that tonight, what would you say? Well, I want a thousand people in my church, Lord. Of course, you know, I know I want money, you know, money, Lord. No, there's nobody here that even cares about money. Okay, so <laughs> what would you ask for? Listen, he said, Lord, I want a wise and an understanding heart to be able to shepherd your people. And God said, I like that. Because you haven't asked for money, because you haven't asked for revenge on your enemies, because you haven't asked all these things, I'm going to give you all these things. Wisdom, like no man's ever had. Riches, wealth, and blessing. Three times, Jesus says to Peter, so that he won't lose the impact and he says to you feed my lambs uh, feed my sheep now stick with me for a moment because something has happened to Peter now remember the Lord said to him Peter when you are converted he was saved and, you know, I had somebody ask me he said wouldn't Peter say yes he was saved but there's a dimension that he needs in his heart uh, that he doesn't have when he says to him when you are converted, then I want you to strengthen your brethren. Now here's a tremendous dimension because here's Peter. Now he can deal with those out of a converted heart, out of his own experience. And something that you must have tonight is you must believe that God can work with imperfect people and restore them and process through them a dimension that he wants to shepherd and help his people. Think about this for a moment. Stick with me. Here we have Acts chapter 2, wonderful blessing, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's poured out baptized with the Holy Ghost. They begin to speak with tongues. Sixteen different nations are recorded as hearing them speak in their own language there. Not necessarily that they spoke in that, but that's how they heard it. It's a gracious miracle. And it comes time to speak and give meaning to this. And who does this? Peter. Do you ever think about that? This is the, this is the loser. This is the failure. He's the one that speaks. Why? because something had happened in his heart of a compassion, of an ability to communicate, uh, and effectiveness out of a restored heart uh, or a converted heart, uh, 
and 3,000 people out of the resonating of his heart of concern, of genuineness. Uh, something's in his spirit now that can identify with people and 3,000 people come to Jesus Christ. How big was your last altar call? Not only that, but a little bit later, 5,000 come. It's directly related to the story that we're reading about. Here's a man that now God's done something in his heart of realization of God's desire to save and forgive. And James 4, 6 says he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. See, this touches the deepest need of human personality as a, a note of compassion. A, it's something beyond the words. It's something in the spirit. And it touches the deepest need of human personality. Psalms 42, 7 and 8, deep calls unto deep the noise of your water spouts. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. In the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. So here now is the fulfillment of the prophecy that Jesus gave in Matthew 16. Jesus appears and says, whom do men say that I am? Well, they're saying, Moses, Elijah, one of the prophets. Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, uh, you're the Christ, the very son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this, but my Father, which is in heaven. And he says, you're going to be a rock. Now, that didn't happen overnight. But it's a prophecy of what he's going to become. And here's the fulfillment, because that was a prophecy of his destiny and it's fulfilled because where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we... Uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit which was given to us. Think about this story for a moment. I'm talking about uh, salvaging people. I may be talking about you and your dealing with someone in your life, in your congregation, one of your disciples. God works with imperfect people. It is God's grace uh, through faith uh, that powerfully moves uh, and we're looking at a wonderful story that encourages every one of us because without doubt, every one of us have been someplace where Peter is. Pride, a little bit of uh, feeling confident over your own success or the response that you're getting or the size of the audience that you're speaking to. But here's a wonderful story. God can reach deep within us, uh, bring us a realization uh, of the wonderful love and the grace of God 
that will take imperfect people and make them into an instrument for his glory and for his grace. I want every head bowed. I want every eye closed. No one moving around next several moments as we open our heart to God and you begin to reach out in faith, believing that God's going to touch people. In the prayer or in the video room, I want your heads bowed also. In this building, undoubtedly there are people that are heart not right with God. There are people perhaps you're visiting tonight. You've never been saved. I have wonderful news, and that news is God loves you and wants to help you. He wants to wash you from your sins. He wants to forgive you this evening. He wants to, if you're backslidden, he wants to restore you right now. I wonder how many people, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You lift your hand where you're sitting and say, Pastor, I'm not right with God, but I want to get right. Would you lift it up right now? You're a failure. God can help you tonight. Lift it up right where you are. Not saved. Maybe you don't understand what I'm talking about. Would you lift it up right now? God cares for you. Lift your hand. Hold it. Say, Pastor, I need your prayer tonight. I'm not right with God, but I want to get right. Back in the prayer room, in the video room. Lift it up where I can see it. Left to right. Front to back, where I can see it. Lift your hand up, where I can see it. Left to right. Front to back. Changing the invitation for a moment. I believe there are people here tonight that you have been gripped with this self-confidence. Maybe you've become harsh and legalistic and inflexible. Maybe you're a pastor and God's convicting you of your not having faith that God can restore and help imperfect people. And God's dealing with you tonight. We're going to stand together, and they're going to sing a chorus. We're going to open these altars. You need to fill these altars. You need to talk to God about what God's talking to you about tonight because God intends to make you effective in dealing with and restoring people and making them productive for God. These altars are open. They're going to sing a chorus for us. Come right now. Fill these altars. Begin to make your petition to God. Begin to lay hold of God. There's a wonderful spirit of grace and favor that's here. You begin to lay hold of God. If you brought someone with you unsaved, turn to them. Get them to come with you and find a place to pray. As the singers sing, would you fill these altars tonight? You begin to pray tonight. God is gracious. And he 